Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Last week I talked about standing at the gate of troubles. Those places in life where hardship comes our way. It's inevitable. This world of ours is broken and doesn't work at all like it's supposed to. So troubles come our way now and again. But we also talked last week about how to handle the difficulties that are thrown at us. The Bible offers us very real help in that department. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And that offers us real hope for successfully meeting the challenges and struggles that come our way. And so we learned that when facing hard times, we need to remember that God can make a way for us because nothing's too hard for him. We also learned that we need to remember that God has made a way for us. And because he's wise and loving and knows all things, sometimes the path that he chooses for us is a difficult one because he knows that we need to be strengthened and matured. That does not feel like very good news on the front end, but in the long run, it really is. We also learned how to take real steps to walk in the way that God has chosen for us, and that included humbling ourselves before the law of sowing and reaping and the law of blessings and curses and not assuming arrogantly that we could be the exception to them. I heard more from you in response to last week's lesson than to any other since I've been your pastor for almost a year now. I'm glad to know that you found help and hope in that message. So this morning I want to say to you, keep living those principles and your life and the difficulties that you experience will be transformed. Today, I want to talk about how to respond when you've done that and all that stuff hasn't worked. What's a person do when they've practiced the things that I've taught last week, when they've begun to try a biblical approach to facing hardship and nothing has changed, either in circumstances or in the condition of their heart? What's a person supposed to do when their difficult circumstances haven't budged and their heart is still deeply troubled and robbed of peace? That's what I want to talk about today, but first, a word of warning, because what I'm going to share with you this morning is not milk. This is tough meat that you're going to have to chew on a bit. I know, I don't like it, but I know that in a group this size, there will be some who will disregard what I am about to say because you think that it's too difficult for you. Friends, listen. Listen closely for just a minute. It might be time for you to step up, spiritually speaking. It might be time for you to grow. It might be time for you to leave elementary spirituality behind and reach for something higher and better. And God who chose a life's path for you just might have engineered some especially difficult circumstances in your life right now so that you could receive and test this lesson. Would you allow the possibility that God might be wanting to work in your life in this specific way today? Let's take a look at how to respond when we stand at the gate of stubborn troubles. 
There's an interesting story on the topic in Mark's version of the Jesus story, chapter 9, and it often gets overlooked because of its content. But the story goes like this. Jesus and the disciples were having a conversation about Jesus' true identity. And he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And the disciples reported people's various guesses about Jesus. They said, well, some people think that you're one of the prophets from the past, come back to life. Some of them said, yeah, specifically Elijah, because some of the other prophets said that Elijah would come back from the dead, and you seem pretty impressive, so people are saying maybe you're Elijah. Uh, John the Baptist was another guy who had seemed an awful lot like that Elijah who was supposed to come, so some are guessing that you're John the Baptist slash Elijah come back from the grave. They're filling Jesus in on all of the public opinion poll, and Peter, true to his normal way of doing things, interrupts, and he says, oh, knock it off. Quit the guessing game. I know who you are, Jesus. You're the Messiah. You are the grand fixer, the one that God personally picked to come and begin to change this world back into the dream that he had long ago. You're the one that he specially equipped to come in and start making things right and knew, I think you are actually his son. And Jesus said, Peter, that's one in a row. You got it right. And that truth and that understanding are the very foundation of my kingdom. Now listen to this. He then said, and some of you who are standing with me here today will see the coming of my kingdom with your own two eyes. One week later, Jesus and the guys are out doing what they do, ministry. And he begins to divide the group, and he takes Peter and James and John away from the rest and tells the rest of them to take care of the ministry business while he and the other three guys are away. He then takes the three amigos on a hike up a mountain, and there something very incredible happens. Moses and guess who? Elijah appear on the top of the mountain with Jesus and the other three guys. That, however, is not the most amazing thing that will take place on the mountain in this episode. Alongside the real Moses, the real Elijah, Jesus' face, image, body, look begins to change. He begins to take on some kind of light. And all of a sudden, however it is that God does what he does, he either so remakes Jesus or gives Peter, James, and John eyes to see that suddenly Jesus is revealed as God. Before, he'd been this guy from Bethlehem and this guy from Galilee, but now all of a sudden, with the two heavyweights from Old Testament history standing there, Jesus himself is transformed, the word in the scripture, transfigured so that they look at him and they go, it's I know it's Jesus, but he's, he's God. That's not the most amazing thing that would take place on the mountain that day. You've got the Moses. Impossible to imagine a larger figure in the, the history and understanding of the guy standing on the mountain that day. He was the one who had gone up the mountain and talked with the God. He's the heavyweight. Elijah, the one who had been his specially chosen mouthpiece, who came and said and did things that no other human had ever done before. There's Jesus, 
looking somewhat like the Galilean, but looking more like the father who had sent him. And all of a sudden, a voice comes out of heaven and says, pretty impressive, huh? I got Moses and Elijah here. But this one over here is my son. Listen to him. An amazing scene on the mountain that day. It disproved the Elijah hypothesis that Jesus was Elijah coming back from the grave because Elijah is standing right next to him. It, it confirms what Peter had said he had believed. He said, I think you're God's son. Sure enough, the voice from heaven, the look on Jesus' face confirmed it all. And it announced the coming of the kingdom that Jesus had said some of them would see with their own eyes. Kind of a big day. Jesus tells the guys, uh, you shouldn't talk about this to other people. They will think you're nuts. They will not believe you. So just be quiet and let's get out of here. And they head back down the mountain. And as they approach the rest of the disciples, it's clear that a crowd has gathered, and that's a good thing because Jesus had told them, you're supposed to be doing the ministry business that I've taught you how to do, that I've shown you how to do while I'm gone. And the guys were actively engaged in it. But as Jesus, James, and John, and Peter got closer, they could tell that there was a rather heated argument going on between some people in the crowd and the disciples that he had left to do ministry in his name. Here's the problem, is that they had been uh, gathering crowds so that they could heal them, so that they could cast out demons, and so that they could teach the good news about the kingdom coming very soon. And one man had shown up who seemed like a prime candidate for the display of the glory of God. He had a boy who was all messed up. He was possessed by demons and he had so many different symptoms, many of which were life-threatening, that this father takes the one last strand of hope that he has and he drags the boy to the place where he hears that the people are healing and casting out demons. And he says, here's my boy. Do it! And so the guys said, be gone and nothing happened. So he said it louder and said it in threes and said it in unison and no matter what they did, the, the little boy didn't get any better. This father has reached the end of his ability to deal with it and he just snaps and he starts screaming and yelling at these guys, you promised! You said you've got all the power of heaven and earth that this great teacher of yours said that he can change people's lives. Why does he do it for everybody else and not for me? Why not my son? How dare you guys keep doing these things? People like me get nothing. He'd had it. Didn't care how he looked in front of the crowd anymore. Jesus comes out into the crowd and he says, what's going on? And the guy says, I'm tired of all the religious pretenders. That's what's wrong. Jesus says, guys, why don't you take care of him? They said, I mean, we tried. 
Jesus shakes his head, takes a deep breath, and takes care of the boy. He and his dad disappear. And Jesus goes, well, that's that. And he turns and he walks into the house, has a seat. And the disciples, they're a little bum-fuzzled. And so they said, well, I guess we should go in there and get whatever tongue lashing we're supposed to get. And they walk into the house. And they said, uh, Jesus, we've cast out a lot of demons. And we've seen you do it a lot. We've seen you heal a lot of sick people. And, and we tried all the tricks that you usually use and none of it worked. Why didn't it work this time? Why didn't it work when we tried with this boy? And Jesus said, oh, well, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. I need to explain to you a little footnote in your Bible. Um, You should read those Uh, The footnotes are put there for a reason. They give you extra information that may help you understand the things that have puzzled you for some time. And uh, there's probably, I think there's one translation of the Bible in which that verse appears exactly like I quote it to you. This kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Most of the rest of the translations will say this kind comes out only by prayer and then has a footnote and you go down to the footnotes and it says and fasting. And you need to understand why it works like that, like the little asterisk. The reason that it works like that is because we have many, many texts, copies of the scripture from antiquity. And a bunch of them say this kind comes out only by prayer. And almost an equal number say this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. And both groups of manuscripts are really well documented and believable. So what do we do, flip a coin? No. What do we do? Take uh, the, the most exciting one? What, I'd tell you which one I'd pick, the one that doesn't say fasting. That's the one that I would pick, okay? Because I fast better on a full stomach. You know what I mean? Um, but we have many records from the ancients that say both of those things. So the way translation committees handle that is they say, they, all of them agree on the prayer part, so we'll, we'll put that up here at first level, and we'll put footnote down here, because it, while it may have been a minority report, it was a significant minority. And you know what the church has done for 2,000 years? The church has lived this. You know what we found out? That there are some stubborn troubles in life that will not budge by us simply living the laws of cause and effect or the laws of blessings and curses, or the laws of of reaping and sowing. We have also found that there are some stubborn troubles in life that don't yield to an occasional prayer. We have found, as we have taken God's word, both versions of it, and applied it, that there is something available to the people of God. Some, Some kind of connection with the power of God himself that comes through prayer and fasting. That's what I want to talk to you about in the time that I have left. Now, a couple things more about this text, very quickly. First is this. I know that the text is primarily about demon possession. He was talking about, you know, casting out demons, and this kind of demon comes out only by prayer and fasting. I don't know what to do with that because I didn't know there was more than one kind of demon, and I really don't care because I don't like any of them. 
right? So it's not like, oh, yay for the good demons. You know, that, that, that doesn't work. But there's a second level of meaning to almost every scripture. There's this first level meaning that is very pointed, and then there's this principle that is a foundation under it that if we look at how we can apply it to other areas of life, we start to see the witness of God's Holy Spirit saying, yeah, that's truth there, pal. That's where we go with this text. God is capable of addressing every problem, but extraordinary problems may require extraordinary measures. Life comes with problems. No way around that. We can avoid some problems by living in obedience to God's will, but we can't avoid every difficulty. As we learned last week, Some of them God's designed for us. Some of them he's allowed. How do we know the difference? It isn't always immediately apparent whenever trouble pops up in our faces. But when we practice the principles that I taught last week, something usually will change. Either the circumstances or your perspective and experience of them. Either the problem gets rectified or I find strength, peace, wisdom, and ability to deal with it. If nothing changes, however, when I've been living biblically, as I'm taught, toward problems in life, it's time then to take your response to the next level. And the next level, my friends, is prayer and fasting. I'm going to talk just a little bit about prayer because I think that's all you have to talk about prayer is a little bit. If you begin to practice, then things will change. The prayer that is next level prayer requests something other than God take it away or God change it or why me, God? I'm going to say that again because I think it's important. The prayer that is next level prayer requests something other than God take it away or God change it or why me? Next level prayer is prayer that asks, what do you want me to learn in this thing, Father? Father? Next level prayer is, please give me the strength that I need to endure this painful thing. It's a prayer of humility. I just want what you want for me, Father, instead of a prayer of protest. I don't like the path that you've chosen for me. A couple weeks ago, Tom Hennigan posted on Facebook a Hebrew proverb. It goes like this. I do not ask for a lighter burden, but broader shoulders. That is next level prayer. You pray like that, and uh, then uh, let's see, well, let's do this. You practice that for a while. I'll come back to that. Okay? I want to spend the rest of the time this morning talking about fasting. First, let's talk a little bit about what fasting is not. Uh, fasting is not a religious exercise by which you can impress God. As in, you know, you skip a sandwich and say, there, I fasted, so I'm obviously devoutly religious, God. Now you're some way obligated to give me more of what I want. That's not fasting. Fasting is not a sacrifice that you offer to God. See, God, I'm sacrificing my comfort so that you'll be pleased enough with me to do whatever it is I ask you to do. In fact, I'm, I'm really spiritual, so... Fasting isn't a way to buy or to earn anything from God. 
Fasting isn't proving something to God, as though God doesn't know the real condition of your heart, so you have to, to fast so that he sees how really ardent you are. See, God, I'm really devoted to you. I mean, I fast, so I'm really super spiritual, and since I'm spiritual, come across with the goods. That's not fasting. And fasting is not a hunger strike. It's not folding your arms and saying, all right, God, I've tried everything with you and nothing has worked, so I'm not going to eat anything until you give me what I want. Well, I'll play your little waiting game. Let's go. That's not fasting. Fasting is a purposeful spiritual discipline that is designed to work on me, not on God. Fasting is a purposeful spiritual discipline that is designed to help me put my flesh in its place. And the flesh's place is in submission to my spirit and the spirit of God, which is married up with it. See, the problem is that we typically indulge our flesh in matters of hunger, thirst, sexuality, rest, possessions, entertainment, you name it. Whatever the flesh wants, it just screams about really loudly until we give in. And then it does it again and again and again and again and again until it doesn't have to scream as loud and just says, hey, I'd kind of like, and you go, there you go. Feel good. We just begin to indulge our flesh until indulging our flesh is the thing that we do. And the flesh gets really healthy and strong and robust and begins to squash our spirits. The flesh gets what it wants most of the time with most people, so it gets strong and temperamental and belligerent, and it tends to dominate our spirits. Fasting checks the flesh, rams it up against the boards in hockey terms, forces it into self-denial, and allows our spirits to begin to gain strength and eventual mastery over the flesh that was ruling us. Fasting is a purposeful spiritual discipline that's designed to work on me, not on God, to put my flesh in its proper place. Fasting is also a preoccupation with spiritual matters. Well, Cliff, if fasting isn't a moral exercise, a sacrifice, or or proving something to God, why don't people eat? I mean, what's what's the spiritual point of not eating? Good question. Let me answer it for you. People fast when they become so preoccupied with a spiritual matter that nothing else matters. They begin to push aside everything else so that they can get to God and hear what he has to say about the thing that it is that they're facing that now is so very important. Fasting is a spiritual preoccupation that leaves room for nothing else. When we fast, we take time that we would ordinarily spend doing other things, even good, healthy things, such as eating and enjoying the company of others, and and we spend it talking with God and listening to God. And so it might rightly be said that fasting is just doing whatever it takes to pray more. We fast for spiritual growth. We fast for spiritual breakthrough. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but who could use a little bit of spiritual breakthrough today? Who is it? It feels like your heart has grown dry and unresponsive and you wonder if it's been dead for quite some time. Let me tell you something. Fasting often revives dry, cracked, withered spirits. 
We fast when we so need to hear from God that we will push everything else aside and take the time to listen for his voice. And we fast so that we can gain spiritual clarity on important decisions. We gain the ability to hear and to understand the voice of God. We fast so that that can happen. What is fasting? It's a purposeful spiritual discipline that's designed to work on me to put my, my flesh in its proper place under, sub, under subjection, under the authority of my spirit. It's a preoccupation with spiritual matters. This thing matters more than anything else, so I push everything aside. And it is also intensive, sustained, repeated prayer. Fasting is the elevation of prayer to the most important and dominant place in our schedules because it's the most important and dominant thing in our values at the moment. You can't fast forever, right? It's an at-the-moment thing. You can't fast forever. Well, you can. <laughs> it just makes forever a lot shorter on this side of the grave. Okay? You'll get that later. Um, Fasting, then, isn't lightweight spirituality. It isn't everyday spiritual activity, but, but then again, we're, we haven't been talking about everyday kind of things, have we? We've been talking about those times in our lives when we're facing problems that are so big or so stubborn that they threaten to overwhelm us. Those times when ordinary measures haven't changed our circumstances and haven't delivered peace to our hearts. We're talking about those times when our backs are pressed up against the wall and something has to change because we don't know how much longer we can hold out. Few people ever fast until they face big, ugly, difficult problems that they don't know how to handle otherwise or until they face life-altering decisions. And you know what? I think that's okay. Because fasting isn't everyday spirituality. It is this thing that is available to the people of God when nothing else will prevail. So how about it? Got a big decision? Got a problem? just for some reason hasn't budged, though you've been living in the ways that God taught us in his word toward your problems? The situation won't change or neither will your heart. Still have the terror, still have the pressure, still have the fear, still have the worry. Maybe you should consider prayer and fasting. When I was considering the possibility of leaving my previous church and coming to this one, I fasted. I was kneeling at a chair in my office. I'd cleared the afternoon for prayer. About three o'clock, I knelt down there one more time. It was tough. Everything in my flesh wanted food and entertainment. But this was time to pray because I had to know something from God. So I pressed in close as I could with my weaknesses. And I finally just said, look, God, no fancy prayers here. I can't seem to put two sentences, two thoughts together today. I just need to know what's your next step for my life. Phone rings. It's Randy Craker saying, hey, I want to talk to you about Lewiston. I needed clarity. 
Good thing I'd been fasting for a few days, huh? It mattered that much to me that I hear from God and make the decision that he wanted me to make, that it seemed worth spending some time connected with the Father. Let me talk to you about the nuts and bolts of this, how to fast. Uh, First of all, prepare yourself because it will not be easy. Here's a little health disclaimer. I am not a doctor. I do not know whether your corpse can stand fasting. You talk to somebody else about that. I will tell you this. If you're going to um, fast and not drink anything, um, you should do that for pretty short periods of time because the medical community has weighed in and said it damages organs in about three days' time, so you don't want that. Um, so when I fast, I typically, um, it works like this. I, if I'm just going to fast, say, a half a day, I can go without food and water. But when I'm going to fast multiple days, uh, I drink water, okay, because it keeps processes working. Um, prepare yourself. How, uh, however you need to do that medically, you figure that out. But I'd also say this. You, it doesn't make sense to prepare, your, to, to plan to fast right before the big family reunion. When you go for, you know, the big pig out, that makes no sense whatsoever. When you're going to be put in social situations where eating is the norm, you don't want to put yourself in a position to either break the fast or to say, oh, I'm sorry. I cannot possibly eat that because I'm fasting. (laughs) Holy as I am, and you mere mortals... Continue to gorge yourselves, right? That was the kind of thing where Jesus said, I hate your fasting. When it's that, when, it, when you're doing it so that other people think you're awesome, it doesn't work. So prepare yourself because it won't be easy and prepare your schedule because you're going to need extra time to pray and you're going to need to be away from other people some. Prepare to hear God's voice. And by the way, this means prepare yourself to obey what you hear when he does speak because uh, God really, really, really does not like to play games. Hey, how about this, God? I'll go through this spiritual exercise and I will listen for your voice and I will do what it takes to be extra keen in the hearing department so that I can hear your voice and obey if I darn well feel like it. God says, go ahead and enjoy your hunger strike, youngin. Come back to me when you've humbled yourself a little bit. You have to be prepared to obey the things that God gives you, the words that he gives you in the middle of a fast. Prepare yourself, prepare your, plan your schedule, prepare to hear God's voice. I would also tell you this, just in the, in the practice department, plan on fasting more than once because you're not going to like it the first time. The first time you will get a uh, great big headache because you are not having caffeine and carbohydrates. And it presses in back here and right here and goes bung, 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 bung. The further you go in the day, the harder it hits. Particularly if you don't take any water, you will find that everything in your body goes, give me food and water! And it plays dirty tricks and will be mean to you, okay? The first day in particular, you're going to hate it. So just be prepared. And because of that, you should plan on fasting more than once so that you get used to saying, down boy, to your flesh. Down boy. Takes a little bit of experience. I would also say this. Plan on fasting for more than one day because each day's experience in a fast is different than the other's. And usually the first day is the hardest. So plan on fasting for more than one day. Finally, this. Remember that fasting isn't the point. 
Hearing from God is the point. Remember, life's big breakthroughs don't often come fast, but they sometimes come from fasting. That's the point of the sermon today. One morning this week, I got up shortly after 5 o'clock, and the very first thing on my mind was this message. I'd been thinking about it for weeks, but, but that day, was, it was the very first thing on my mind. And, and I thought of you and how I might be able to, to teach these things that I have just mentioned to you. I climbed out of my bed, I went into the kitchen and started to make a single cup of coffee as is my usual practice every morning except Sunday. Make one cup of coffee, sit down and drink it while I read the Bible and pray. But as I sat down and started enjoying that good cup of coffee, God slipped in beside me and said, so Cliff, you going to preach about fasting on a full stomach? Hmm. Ironic, don't you think? I want you to fast. And it pains me to pour out good coffee, but I did. Perhaps that's the the last principle that I'd try to teach you this morning. Listen for God's voice. Sometimes he will call you to commune with him by fasting. Know this, if he calls to you in this way, you can be certain that he has something to give you that is far more valuable than anything that you give up. I've been facing a stubborn trouble for several months now. I had decided that I was going to address it from the pulpit today and deal with it, get it over with. But I fasted earlier this week. And during that fast, God told me, no, don't talk about it. He said, give it to me while you fast instead. So I decided to obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to talk about that anymore. I'm just going to keep giving it to God. In so doing, that trouble will lose its power over my heart and mind and emotions. And I will be at rest regarding it. And then God can do whatever he wants to with that little problem. He can make it go away or he can choose to allow it to remain. This much I know. He called me to himself in a fast this week and he addressed a stubborn trouble in my life. I'm now at rest. We'll see if the problem goes away. It's just that now it really doesn't matter if it doesn't because the Father has allowed something to come my way and it has accomplished its work in me. You facing an extraordinary problem right now? Is there something in your life that is so big you just don't know what to do about it? Do you need to hear from God or or to receive his guidance? Do you either need him to change the circumstances of your life or to give you supernatural ability to stand up under the stress and to experience his peace as you do it, then I would encourage you to consider fasting for spiritual breakthrough. The big breakthrough in my life, all of them, those watershed moments that have charted the course of my life have come often during a fast.
I know that the prospect of going days without food seems horrible. And I guess that in, until remaining in your current circumstances is more horrible than that, you will not likely fast. On another day, perhaps we will talk about fasting in the interest of the future of our church. Or fasting for the pre-Christian people in our valley. That's for another day. For now, I'll simply say this. If you want to talk about this more, if you want to learn how to get started, I think that takes more than a casual conversation, but I would be delighted to talk with you about it. So, if you would like to learn more or talk more about fasting for spiritual breakthrough, give me a call at the office or all the ways you know to get a hold of me. And I'll be glad to help you get started. But know this. Life's big breakthroughs don't often come fast. But they sometimes come from fasting. And if there's just something too big, too hard for you to continue struggling against it any longer, we can't take care of the fasting in this room. Well, we can take care of the prayer. So I'd invite you to stand with me and bow your heads and close your eyes unless you would like to come and kneel here and pray. And here's what I'll do is, um, well, do this first. Just close your eyes and bow your heads. And anybody who wants to come, something's pressing on you, something's weighing on you, and you just want somebody to pray with you, just come right ahead. Not going to ask you to tell everybody out loud what it is, none of that. Listen, don't, don't worry about what the rest of the people in the sanctuary are going to think about you if you come. It doesn't matter. Most of them are going to think, yeah, good for her, good for him. I'm glad they had courage. But, but if you're feeling self-conscious, don't ever feel self-conscious to come and kneel here and pray. I'm going to wait five more seconds in case you want to come. Two, one, okay. All right. Now I want to do this. Uh, board members, I didn't prep you for this, but you've got brothers and sisters at the altar here. And would you just come and press in close to someone here and just ask them, how can I pray for you? Listen, if you don't want to tell them what the big ugly problem is, just tell them you'd rather not. But I want the, I want the elders of our church to pray for the people who are feeling the load today. All right, let's pray. Crazy stories. Crazy stories. Prophets popping up out of the grave in the past. Jesus somehow looking like you, Father. Your voice thundering from heaven. Are you kidding me? absolutely crazy stories but true and I want to give you thanks for that story today Lord because we're reminded that as the guys came back down the hill with you from this fantastic religious experience they ran headlong into problems problems that were too big for mere mortals to handle unless they knew the secret of communion with you through prayer and fasting 
Lord, thank you for this gift that you've given to your people. It usually doesn't feel like a gift, fasting. It feels like us losing something. But I pray for all those that you call to yourself, that you would give them strength and wisdom to embrace prayer and fasting. Then let the walls come down. Let the giants come down. Let the powers that have stood against us come down. Let the worries dissipate. Let the fears go away. And may your peace rest in our hearts. Lord, it's hard for us to say thank you for tests and trials. But as the pastor of these people, I'm going to say thank you for all of us. Because I know that as you test us, it's to strengthen and mature us that we might be used very effectively as agents of your love in this world. May you be with us as you have said. Um, I'm going to kneel here and pray with a person or two. I would ask um, those of you who need to go to please do that quietly so that we can we can pray in here. May you know the peace of God, which passes human ability to understand, and the power that is needed for you to face the difficult things that come into your life. So may you go in peace. Amen.